Hi there. I'm Anna Davis, host of Nostalgia Trip. On this show, I'll take a look back in time to explore things that myself and others are nostalgic for, specifically media that we loved as a kid. Sometimes I'll ask friends to pick our topic, other times I'll take deep dives on things that specifically mean something to me. But first, I felt like I'd be remiss to have all of these discussions without fully understanding what nostalgia means to me. So with that, let's dive in. Merriam-Webster defines nostalgia as a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for a return to some past period or irrecoverable condition. Not a very straightforward definition, is it? Perhaps that's because condensing human emotion is really hard to do in a single sentence. But that's exactly why I'm so drawn to nostalgia and wanted to do a podcast revolving around this feeling. The origins of nostalgia dates back to the 17th century, when a Swiss physician named Johannes Hofer coined the term to describe the sadness and anxiety felt by Swiss mercenaries fighting away from home. The word itself is a compound of the Greek words nostos, meaning homecoming, and algos, meaning sorrow or despair. During the 1800s, this feeling was initially considered a mental health condition, similar to hallucinations or depression. By the 19th century, the definition of nostalgia evolved to be a bit less sad, and took on the meaning of a longing for the past. When exploring what triggers feelings of nostalgia, modern research has identified two primary categories, environmental and cultural triggers. Environmental is, of course, based on surroundings and sensations. The smell of your grandparents' house, that weird sound your first car made when you turned the key in the ignition, the feeling of soft snow falling on your face. To me, this is the deeper side of nostalgia, the things that can spark both wistfulness and melancholy, and sometimes can never be recaptured. Your first car has long since been sent to the junkyard, and your grandparents moved out of their longtime home and retired to a condo in Florida. But maybe, someday, you'll be in a friend's car and it will make that same weird noise when they turn the key in the ignition, and you'll get that sentimental sensation. That's environmental nostalgia. My guess is this is what the Swiss doctor was referring to. There was much less mass culture back in the 17th century, with mass market fiction books just starting to hit shelves in major cities, and of course, it was a century or two removed from radio, television, and other modern media formats. However, cultural nostalgia is what I hope to explore in this podcast. I see it as more the fun side of nostalgia. Books, music, movies, television, video games. These are the things that help shape our broader culture. I could visit your grandparents' house with you, but I won't feel that nostalgic feeling that you do when you get a whiff of grandma's oatmeal cookies. I might just think they smell nice. However, we may both feel deeply nostalgic when revisiting a movie we grew up with, like Star Wars, or hearing the opening piano chords of Let It Be. I think the humanity of it all is what I love so much about nostalgia. As a kid, Knowing a lot about movies and music gave me something to talk to peers about. Perhaps it helped an insecure kid feel a tiny bit cooler. This passion for pop culture is a common thread that I've carried into my adult life. 
And that's exactly what sparked the idea for this podcast. There are, of course, those who don't love nostalgia quite as much as I do. On the sitcom The Office, Dwight Schrute said, Nostalgia is truly one of the great human weaknesses, second only to the neck. There is some debate as to whether nostalgia is in fact a good or a bad thing. Those against nostalgia feel being stuck in the past inhibits innovation and causes us to overlook the problematic parts of the past. Even White Lotus Season 2, which came out in 2022, takes a prod at the value of nostalgia. The character of Bert calls The Godfather the greatest movie of all time. His grandson, Albie, fires back that it's not, and Bert only likes it because he wishes for the culture of the olden days, saying, You're nostalgic for the salad days of the patriarchy. Men love The Godfather because they feel emasculated by modern society. This is an interesting take, that people feel nostalgia for times where they felt more power or control of their lives. This is a take that I agree with, and I think it harkens back to the larger idea of comfort. That doesn't excuse creepy old men from longing for the days of a stronger patriarchy, but let's also acknowledge that The Godfather is just a really damn good movie. In my humble opinion, most people, at least people who will be on this show, discuss their nostalgia from a much more innocent perspective. In this podcast, I'm not seeking to tear into things that we hold near and dear to us. I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of things we loved as kids may have some elements that would get canceled nowadays. In working on this show and revisiting media from my childhood, there are certainly some things that I've watched where I go, oh yikes, that would never be made these days. And I think that's okay. I'm glad that popular culture has moved to a new chapter that's often more inclusive and told from more unique perspectives than they were when I was growing up. Progress is great, and I don't think enjoying things from our past inhibits our ability to look into the future. In discussing nostalgic things with friends on the show, people find laughter and joy. What's the problem with that? Research on nostalgia's effect on the mind has actually shown notable positive effects. Beyond simply improving mood, nostalgia can provide feelings of social connectedness and existential meaning. Finding a shared bond with others over a favorite movie or album can help build personal ties to social groups and bring feelings of having a greater meaning in the world. Most importantly to me, nostalgia is comforting. Interestingly, Merriam-Webster also includes a second definition for nostalgia, which is a feeling of homesickness. I don't know about you, But in hearing that second definition, it really clicked for me what exactly nostalgia feels like. It's this deep, complex sensation of comfort. It's safety. It's belonging. I know I'm not saying anything earth-shattering when I say that this adulting thing can be hard. After a long day at work, many of us turn on our TVs to relax. While sitting in rush hour traffic, we listen to our favorite music to distract us from all of the terrible drivers of the world. That's comfort and we needed to get through the tough times. I felt like it was important to think deeply about what nostalgia means to me before embarking on this podcast. I plan to spend a lot of time asking other people about what is nostalgic to them, or taking deeper looks at cultural phenomena from years past that have been lost to our new age of streaming and social media. But for this first episode, I'm going to be a little introspective and briefly mention five things from my childhood that come to mind when I think of nostalgia. I shouldn't ask other people to talk about this if I don't want to talk about it myself, right? With that, I've picked one example of the five main topics that we'll explore on the show. Books, music, movies, television shows, and video games. So, 
let's go on our first nostalgia trip. Let's start off with my book selection. So I've always been an avid reader and devoured so many books as a kid that in second grade, my teacher would have to get new books in the classroom just for me because I had read everything else. I loved series like Magic Treehouse and Judy B. Jones when I was in elementary school. And by middle school, I was simply obsessed with Twilight and Harry Potter, just like everybody else was. I mean, I named my first cat Dobby, so clearly that obsession has not subsided in adulthood. (laughs) But one book that meant the world to me as a kid was The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. It was written by Kate DiCamillo, who is probably my favorite children's book author, if not one of my favorites. She also wrote the classic Because of Winn-Dixie and The Tale of Despero, two other books that I absolutely loved as a kid. The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, which I know is quite the mouthful for a children's book, is about a china rabbit that gets lost from his human owner during a ship voyage in the 1930s. He goes through a journey of grief, kindness, and compassion over several decades. The art and the version of the book that I had as a kid, and still have, is also really stunning and adds so much to the story, and I remember just staring at the pages of the book, mesmerized by some of the pictures when I was really little. I was 11 when this book came out, so maybe not super little, but pretty young. I remember even then reading it and being brought to tears by how much this book moved me. I haven't reread it in a while, but in working on this podcast, it made me want to revisit it, so I think it's time for a reread. Now my music choice. My dad is a musician, and I grew up in a household where music was always playing, and my husband and I do the same thing in our house now. I consider myself to have pretty eclectic taste in music. I listen to jazz, classical, prog rock, folk, rap, alternative, and anything in between. I just hate modern country music. Sorry if you like it, it's just not really for me. When I was little, I had a little blue stereo that included an AM and FM radio, plus a CD and a cassette player. It was very comprehensive. I've had trouble sleeping basically my entire life, and when I was little, I liked to listen to oldies or jazz to help me sleep on my little blue stereo. My favorite song was Moon River. My mom would sing it to me as a lullaby when I was really little, and then my parents got me a cassette with the Andy Williams version of the song, which I listened to on repeat every night for months and months and months to help me sleep. Frank Ocean did a cover of it a few years ago, which reminded me of how much I loved the song as a kid. I hadn't heard it in a really long time. I don't actively listen to it now as an adult. I tend to listen to the Calm app or ASMR videos to sleep instead in my old age. But in hearing the Frank Ocean version, I was reminded of how much I liked it as a kid, and I still think it's a really beautiful song. Now for my movie choice. So if you know me at all, which maybe you do and maybe you don't, I love movies. They are one of my greatest passions in life. And picking a single nostalgic movie was really tough for me. I'm going to use this episode as a chance to give an example of a nostalgic movie that is one of those random movies that your family always watches that no one else ever seems to watch or has even heard of. You know, you grow up thinking it was a classic and then discover that none of your friends have seen it. I think this was especially common in the age of VHS tapes. My dad would record random movies that were on TV And we always shopped in the VHS bargain bin, which has now evolved to be DVDs and Blu-rays. But the things that you would find in that bin could be pretty obscure. And at the time, before streaming, you just watched whatever you had at home. So those were the tapes that you would turn to when you wanted to watch a movie. 
So my choice for this is a little movie called The Burbs. It's a late 80s horror comedy starring Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher, and Corey Feldman. It's about a group of neighbors in a classic American suburb who grow suspicious of their new neighbors, and chaos ensues. This movie was a summer staple for my family growing up. We would watch it literally every year. It's funny, exciting, and pretty weird. I really love weird cult movies as an adult, and I think that comes from watching movies like this with my parents. My parents had a knack for enjoying movies like this and finding movies like this, despite not being, like, massive movie buffs. We also revisited Mars Attacks, which is a cult movie that I still adore, as well as Maximum Overdrive, which was directed by Stephen King. And is not a good movie, but is a very fun movie. And that was another weird little cult one that I watched a lot as a kid. So I appreciate my parents for enjoying little gems like that. This movie is not considered to be good. It has bad reviews on every major site, Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb. I don't care. And I think that's exactly what makes it super nostalgic for me. I love it. My parents love it. And it meant something really specific to my family. So it's perfect to me. But also, like, consider watching it, because it's fun as hell. So for a TV show selection, this was tough for me. I watched a lot of TV as a kid. I watched Disney Channel. I watched Nickelodeon. Just a lot of time sat in front of a TV, usually also, like, playing with Barbies or doing a puzzle or something. But when I really think about it, I was undeniably a PBS kid. I would come home from school every day and toss on PBS while enjoying my favorite after-school snack, Tostitos, and a very mild hot sauce. The soothing voice of Bob Ross was the soundtrack of my nap times. And Reading Rainbow got me pumped about reading from a very young age, and I still love LeVar Burton for it. I have great memories of so many PBS shows, but my favorite after-school show was probably Cyber Chase. This show is apparently still airing today, which is awesome, and it started airing when I was about seven years old. It features a group of kids using their science and math skills to stop a hacker from taking over cyberspace. Also, in looking the show back up, because I obviously didn't know this when I was seven, but there's some really impressive voice talent on the show. My favorite character, Digit, was a little cyborg bird thing um, that would help the kids on their missions. And he was voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, which is fantastic. And the villain, named Hacker, was voiced by Doc Brown himself, Christopher Lloyd, who I share a birthday with. I'm not a math girly, I never have been, even when I was little and pretty nerdy, but I always loved the science and the problem-solving elements of the show, and I thought the adventures that the team took in Cyber Chase was really fun. I just remember really enjoying the show, and I think it aired back-to-back with Dragon Tales. I might be making that up, but I vaguely remember it being Cyber Chase and Dragon Tales, another excellent PBS Kids show. So, last but not least, is my video game selection. I'm not, like, massive gamer girl, but I've played a fair share of video games in my time, and I feel like my most nostalgic selection is a very random one that probably a lot of people have literally never played, but I was so obsessed with this game when I was a kid, and it's the Crash Tag Team Racing game. This is a kart racing game featuring Crash Bandicoot and a crew of other characters from the Crash games. Crash and friends are trying to win ownership of a theme park, from the evil Dr. Neocortex by winning a series of these kart races. It's similar vibes to Mario Kart, but with more explosions. It was released in 2005, so I would have been 10, and I have super vivid memories of playing this on my PlayStation 2, which was one of the first game systems that I had. I think I had a Game Boy SP, 
And then I got my PlayStation 2. I didn't have a ton of game systems as a kid. I think we might have had one of the older Nintendo systems that my dad played on because he's a big Pac-Man and Mario guy. But the first systems that were like mine was my Game Boy SP and my PlayStation 2. And I would just grind on so many random games on my PlayStation 2. And I'm not a great gamer. I'm not exceptional, but I put hours into Crash Tag Team Racing. And it's definitely not my favorite video game. I think I, when I was a little bit older, I rented the game or something just to play it again. Because I was like, oh, I used to love this game. And it wasn't that fun. But I thought it was so fun when I was like 10 years old. I have a very specific memory of me playing this game. I remember sitting in my living room and I would have been like 10 or 11. It was right when this game came out. And I think I was so into the game that my parents moved our love seat, this really big, cozy green love seat. They moved it in front of the family TV in the living room, super close. And I had a bunch of blankets and I was really cozy and they moved it so I could play this game. And I remember I had this little portable radio and I had it on 97.5, which if you're from the Lansing, Michigan area, you will remember 97.5 in the 2000s. That was like the top 20 pop radio station. And I would listen to 97.5 with my little headphones. And I remember listening to Shut Up and Drive by Rihanna while playing Crash Tag Team Racing. And I thought I was really cool because it was a song about racing, which as an adult, it's not actually about racing. It's about something much more sexual. But at the time, I thought it was about racing a car. And I felt very cool listening to that song while playing Crash Tag Team Racing. So that's my core nostalgic memory with this game. So those are my nostalgic selections for today. In talking about these, I'm really feeling that wistful feeling that I was describing at the top of the episode. This was fun, and I hope you'll consider joining me on this nostalgia trip. Thanks for listening, and let's take another trip down memory lane together very soon. Thank you for joining me on this nostalgia trip. If you liked what you heard, follow the podcast to keep tripping through time with us. And if you're feeling extra supportive, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Nostalgia Trip Pod for bonus content, episode release schedules, and more. Want to hear a certain topic or have a recommendation for the pod? Email us at nostalgiatrippod at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>